0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. We're going to be in Acts this morning. Acts 3, verses 12 through 26. I know your Bible probably just falls right open to Romans since we've been in there for 54 weeks. But we're going to be in Acts. And on that note... If I accidentally say Paul wrote or Paul said, it's because we were in Romans for 54 weeks, and it's probably supposed to be Peter, so I hope you forgive me for that. Also, before we read the text this morning, I think a little background would be helpful. We're in narrative, and we need to kind of figure out where we're at in the story. So Peter and John, uh, apostles, men who walked with Jesus, were headed to the temple to pray, and they run into this man, a man who'd been uh, born lame. He couldn't walk, and he asks him for some money. The man says, hey, can you give me some alms? And they... Instead, look at him, and then Peter commands the man in the name of Jesus to get up and walk. And he did. He did, which would be pretty awesome. The man was healed, right? In response, Peter preaches the sermon that we're now going to read together. So, now with that in mind, let's take a look at Acts chapter 3, verses 12 through 26. God's word says this. For when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Here comes the sermon, ready? Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the Holy and Righteous One And ask to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that this Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said... The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you, and everyone who does not listen to what the prophet will be—excuse me—to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up this servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we seek to to hear from Peter's preached sermon, from your word, speak to us in terms that we can understand and and stir in us. Lord, there's a lot of, sort of technical things in this particular sermon. Uh, help us. Help me. Help it to be communicated clearly that it would compel us to repent and believe, that it would move and stir in our souls, that we would see Jesus as the true and final prophet who has come, that we celebrate this Christmas season. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So my goal this morning is to understand one specific aspect of who Jesus is. Like, okay, Jesus is the predicted prophet who was to come. Okay, the chief application of Peter's sermon was not to explain how a man was healed, but to call his fellow Israelites, his Jews, to repent and turn back to God. To turn back. Because they were denying Jesus, and therefore they were sinning against God. That was the purpose of his sermon. They were disobeying God. And Peter's support for this, for their disobedience, for all of this, was that Jesus is the prophet that was promised in Scripture. That's his support. So in order for Jesus to be the promised Messiah, the Christ, the Savior who is to come, that we celebrate at Christmas, the one who's going to bring about the restoration of all things, he has to be the perfect prophet, and the perfect priest, and the perfect king. Therefore, it seems fitting to me in in our series as we explore each of these this Christmas season, so we really understand so you really can grasp, this is what we're celebrating at Christmas, the coming of the prophet, priest, and king, the Savior. So we're going to start this morning with the promised prophet. Now, I know many of you have heard Christmas messages, and they're usually really happy and cheery. I'm just going to warn you as I was talking with a brother before the service, I believe that preaching should mirror and match the tone and the tenor of the text we're dealing with. So if it seems like there's some spicy, fiery aggression, it's because I'm trying to match the tone of Peter's sermon here. So hopefully we can get through that together. Let's take a look at this. So here's what happens. A man who was lame from birth, according to Acts uh, 3.2, was commanded in the name of Jesus to get up and walk, which that is pretty amazing. And then it actually happened. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, right? The, the the Jews were amazed, which they should have. Anybody not amazed by that, I would have to question where they have been all their lives. They were amazed, right? And the point of that particular healing, as is the point of all these miracles and healings, is to open the door to proclaim Christ. Peter made it clear that it wasn't he or John who did anything. He didn't take credit for it. He didn't make much about himself. He just said, look, we didn't do anything. We don't even have the ability. We cannot do this. We can't even even call upon Jesus' power to heal on command. It just happened here. Instead of Peter making it about himself, he opens this sermon with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their ancestors who glorified Jesus. He's the one which... It's kind of a strange way to answer the amazement that they had. Wow, how did this happen? Who who did this? Oh, this big, flowery language of the God of your ancestors. He he could have just said, it wasn't me, and it wasn't John, it was Jesus. That would have been really simple and, and really clear. But Peter's actually making a very specific point. He has an intention here to make this argument that flows all the way through his whole sermon. He's going to talk about Jesus doing the healing a little bit later. Verse 16, at that point he says, By faith in his name, uh, his name is made the man strong who you see and know. But that's not the chief point of what Peter's trying to get at. He's making a different point in his sermon. So, what did he start with and why? First he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. And who is this one that God has glorified? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The guy whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Right? Pilate was going to release him. Uh, though he had decided to release him, you guys handed him over and denied him. A Roman governor and a Gentile could see that Jesus was innocent. But you, the Jews who claim to be the servants of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you guys denied the one that God sent. You done blew it. Then Peter. Drives it in even deeper. Like he gets after it and says, you, I can just picture him pointing, you, denied the holy and righteous one. You killed the source of life. But don't worry, God raised him back up from the dead. So you couldn't (coughs) overtake that one. You did it. You killed him. This sets Peter up for a really great sermon application. I mean, this is a good model in preaching. In verse 19, he says, therefore, repent and turn back. And then he says, if they do, three things are going to happen. If you do this, here's going to be the outcome according to Peter. Okay, first, he says, if they repent and turn back, their sins may be wiped out, which praise the Lord for that. That's just as true for them, sinning Jews, as it is for us, sinning Gentiles, unless some of you are Jews. Just the same for all of us. Okay, the Bible makes it abundantly clear." As clear as can be that we're all sinners, we've all had a hand in denying Jesus and therefore killing Jesus. We're just as guilty as as they were, Peter's audience, just as guilty as them. But if we repent, which means to, to turn away from our ways and to turn towards Jesus, our sins may be wiped out. The second thing that Peter says, if they repent and turn back, is that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, on the surface, that might seem kind of like an odd thing to say, given that literally in the next sentence, Peter is going to say that Jesus is in heaven until the restoration of all things. So how then can Jesus' presence be uh, bringing about seasons of refreshing if, if he's in heaven? Okay, well, we know that while Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession, he is also with us in here in us, if you're a believer, in all aspects of your life. His presence is in everything that you are, everything that you think, everything that we even deal with. His presence is here. Okay? And if he were only a created man like you or me, and not a divine member of the Trinity, he couldn't be there and here. But bodily, he's there. And in his divine spirit, his very real presence is here. That's a huge claim of who he is. He's not like you and me. He is the God Man, and all those who have experienced this presence—I hope you have—have have probably also experienced that refreshing seasons that he, he can bring. I mean, after all, he said, "Come to me, all who are of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." That's these refreshing seasons that he brings. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight, and then the third thing that that Peter said. Peter preached that if they repent and turn back, this third thing can happen. The Lord may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. This one's a tough one in evangelical circles, but I think it's important we understand. It's not enough just to have your sins forgiven. It's not enough. Okay, that removes your transgressions, that removes your sins, praise the Lord, but it doesn't change you. It only takes something away. It doesn't add anything. But God has commanded us to be holy as He is holy. God expects us to be holy, that is righteous. He expects that of us. And being holy is not just the absence of past sins. We need righteousness that can't be bought, that can't be earned. It's alien to us. It's foreign. It needs to come from somewhere. Therefore, we need Jesus as our Messiah, not just the forgiver of our sins, but we need Him giving us His righteousness. We need Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, now hear this, so that in Him we might become righteous the righteousness of God. We need more than forgiveness. We need Christ's righteousness. So Peter's sermon is this evangelistic gospel call to the Jewish people, which is great. Okay, The healing itself, which some people get very excited about, it's very exciting, it's an amazing thing, but it was just a sign event, a wonder, a miraculous thing in order to point people to the gospel and to call them to repentance. That was the purpose of Of the healing. Verse 16 makes that clear. The sign that was before them was somebody they knew and they could see as a sign so they could hear something about having faith in Jesus. And then the main point of Peter's sermon is not about the sign. It's not about the miracle. It's not about the power of the Holy Spirit working in that way. It is to repent and turn back to God. That's what Peter is leveraging. Now, because that's the main point of Peter's sermon and the way that I approach the text and preaching is going to have to be the main point of my sermon. That's just how we do that here. Although Peter is going to provide some scriptural support that the first century Jewish people are going to, to hear really well. It's going to land with them really well and it might not land so well with 21st century Gentile hearers. We just don't have the same thought processes as they did. We don't know our Old Testament as well. So while Peter appealed to Moses as support to make his point, I'm going to deviate a little bit, and instead I'm going to appeal to Peter to make my point, because I think Peter himself makes a really good point for us. Let's look at that. Let's look at what Peter does, and then let's look at how uh, we can see him as support. So after Peter tells them that they killed Jesus, which that's bold, he lightens the tension by calling them ignorant. Ignorant like, you killed Jesus, but it's okay because you were ignorant. We know that Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. Later he was traveling. Paul talks about that. But I cannot, under any circumstance, imagine that his wife was present at this sermon because he would never survive the glare she would be giving him for calling the people ignorant. Amen. Amen is right. But... This is Peter, so in Peter fashion, he calls them ignorant. And then he reminds them that what happened to Jesus was predicted by the prophets. You don't have to take my word for it. Look at verses 17 to 18. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that this Messiah would suffer. He makes the, the same point in Acts Three, twenty-four through 26, jump over there. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up this, or his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways." God told Abraham, all the families of the earth we blessed through your offspring a few times. We can find that, quote, numerous times. And Peter is connecting Abraham's offspring to Jesus and the work of the gospel in the next verse, where he says, God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Verse 26. The blessing of of Abraham's offspring, or seed, because it's the same word, the blessing of Abraham's seed is the same blessing of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. It's a continuation of that promise, and it's Jesus. Peter's saying it's Jesus. Genesis 3.15 said it was Jesus. Therefore, Abraham's offspring here is Jesus. So the Jews were looking and hoping for this coming seed, this coming offspring, but then when he came, when he shows up on the scene, they deny him. They just miss it. Peter now is calling them to repent and turn to Christ the seed in which they've been hoping for all their life. He's here just rep- you need to turn to him. Now, I want to I need to address something quickly. There's a Jewish argument that interprets God's statement about Abraham as the Jewish people themselves being the blessing of Abraham to the entire world rather than to Jesus. Okay, that's a prominent when you, when you do evangelism to uh, Jewish people, that comes out sometimes. The people themselves are the blessing to the whole world. But, but Paul, and I mean Paul, refutes that in Galatians 3.16 when he wrote, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and your seed. Then he says this, who is Christ Galatians 3.16 makes that abundantly clear that Abraham's offspring, who will bless all on the earth, is Christ. But Peter's statement in, in verses 21 through 23, I find the most interesting. We kind of jumped over them. I want to come back to them now. Look at this. I think this helps us with Christmas. This helps us in regard to the series we're doing. This helps us understand Christ as the perfect prophet. Ready? Uh, verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things. Which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to the prophet will be completely cut off. Here, Peter has anchored his entire argument in something that Moses said The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Uh, from among your, Like me, from among your brothers and sisters, you must listen to him. Everything And listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to the prophet will be completely cut off from the people. This statement comes from Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 22, which we're going to look at in just a second. Where Moses, the first prophet of God's people, tells them that God is going to raise up a prophet like Moses when they enter the Holy Land that God is giving them. And then they were to test the prophet to make sure that what he was saying was actually from God and there was a whole system for what that would look like to see if he was the true or a true prophet. And then from there, we see a string of a whole bunch of prophets, like which are all a model of, an incomplete model of the true prophet that is to come. They're helping and they're guiding, but they're actually showing something. And in a way, it's not quite complete. It's it's lacking. And so that we have a longing for Jesus, the perfect prophet who will come. So clearly, though, what Peter is doing is saying that back in Deuteronomy 18 is pointing to Jesus. It doesn't just end with the, the line of prophets. It's about Jesus. And anyone who does not listen to everything Jesus says will be completely cut off from the covenant of God's people. In other words, Peter was saying that if you Jews reject Jesus, you are no longer among God's people. That's what Peter's saying. Look over Deuteronomy 18. It's on uh, page 167, if you're using one of those uh, Bibles somewhere around you. Deuteronomy 18. I'm just going to read It's a lot of scripture, but I think it's really helpful, especially in the context in where we live. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. This is the instruction that Moses has been given from God to give to the people. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. Well, that's pretty good advice. No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire, practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, practice sorcery, cast spells, consult a medium or a, spiritual, a spiritist, or inquire of the dead. Everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord, and the Lord your God is going to drive out the nations before you because of these detestable acts. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Though these nations uh, are a, that you are about to drive out listen to fortune tellers and diviners, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb in the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God or see His great fire any longer so that we will not die. Then the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I commanded him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. But the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, well, that prophet must die. You may say to yourself, well, how are we to recognize a message that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him interesting and important guidance. Jesus is the perfect and final prophet that was promised there in Deuteronomy and then all throughout the Old Testament. So therefore, logically, the Jews should not be, cannot be denying Jesus, but instead listening to Him. They must repent and turn to Jesus if they're going to be numbered among God's chosen people. That's the argument that Peter is making in this sermon. And it's very much in line with the New Testament as well. When the Word of God has become flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 1 through 14, we see that Jesus is not just another messenger of God's Word, like the previous prophets, but He is the Word itself. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. We often forget that part. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Okay, so Jesus is not continuing along this line of the messengers that are speaking for God. He was completing it. He was finishing it. It's done there. It's finished. And then in Revelation 19.10, all the way at the end, it says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Christ is in that, and now Christ is here. And let us not miss that Jesus is a true prophet because his claims were proven right. Right when God raised him from the dead. That, I mean, who can make such a claim? He's the final prophet because he's alive. Never to die again, thus remaining our prophet forever. This is probably not the answer the people were looking for when they were like, what's up with this dude who got healed? Probably weren't expecting to hear how they're in, uh, you know, denial of Jesus and killing Jesus and need to repent. The appropriate response to that miracle or, or really any miracle for that matter is repent and believe Jesus. He's the promised prophet, that means he's the Messiah and he's the savior. That would be the only logical and right response to what those people saw. So how about us? I'm like how about us today? Like we're 21st century gentiles, what are we supposed to make of all this? What do we what do we do with this? I told you I wasn't Peter's going to appeal to Moses. I'm going to appeal to Peter. Peter's actions in response to me are absolutely mind-blowing. They are completely remarkable. First, here's a Jewish man, Peter, a Jewish fisherman, among a people who highly prized their ancestral lineage to Abraham and identified themselves as God's special people based on race. Here's that man among them telling them that if they deny Jesus, God will cut them off from his people. That is a bold sermon. I mean, that's like crazy brave. It's serious preaching, which explains what happened next. Look quickly at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. While they were speaking, here's what happened. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming, Uh, in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. Hear this. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Okay, so of course they'd get arrested. If you've read the Bible, if you read the book of Acts, you know that's coming, right? But it can only be attributed to God that 5,000 Jewish men would hear this message and believe it and turn to Jesus. That is a miracle. That's bigger than the guy getting up and walking. That is 5,000 men, not including any women who will hear this or children, who went from death to life. New heart. That's the miracle. Also, how many people do we see in our day healing someone, then immediately giving all of the credit to Jesus, and then so boldly calling people to repentance that they get arrested? That's not what I see. When I see someone who claims to heal somebody, in our day, it's usually on TV or YouTube, they often identify themselves as a prophet, first of all, which, oddly, many have claimed that they are Elijah, which was John the Baptist, like, that's a big mess. Like, what are you doing? Okay? Then they, they act as the official mouthpiece of God, Right, Then they make many wrong and untrue prophecies and say things that God never said in his Bible and sometimes say things that contradict what God has said in his Bible. But not Peter. Not Peter. When Peter healed a guy in the name of Jesus, he said, Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is still the prophet. And then he took all the focus off the physical healing of that guy And he shifted it all right to the sins of all those people so he could speak truth and call them out. That he could call these people to repent and turn to Jesus. I'm telling you, man, we need more men like Peter today. Brave, bold, proclaimers of truth, not about self, but to make much about Jesus. I'm praying for men like that. So in light of Peter's sermon, we need to face the question, Do we believe that Jesus is the perfect and final prophet? Like, do we really believe it? The one that Moses spoke of, the one that Peter's talking about, the seed of Abraham that would bless all the nations of the world, all the families of the world. Do we believe that Jesus is really that guy? Okay, there are two ways we can deny Jesus as the prophet, and we see him all the time. The first way that you can deny Jesus as this prophet is that you just flat out say he was not from God, that he was not the Son of God, that that he's not the Savior, that he's not the one he claimed to be, that he was not raised from the dead. You just don't believe it. You just say, nope, must have been a liar. Maybe the apostles were liars. Maybe everybody's a liar. You just chuck it all. I hope you don't do that. I hope you don't deny Jesus in that way. But if you do, you're among a lot of people in the world. That's how most people approach this perfect prophet, if they're going to deny him. The second way that you can deny Jesus looks really spiritual. It looks great. But actually, it still denies Jesus. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist, the last prophet, had some doubts about Jesus. He was in prison. He was going to lose his head soon. He just So he sends a couple people. He's just in a moment of, of weakness. He sends a couple of people to ask Jesus this question. Matthew 11:3, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? We ask Jesus that too, don't we? We really do. Are you the perfect and final prophet, Jesus? Or, or do we still need a, another prophet to speak for God and to interpret what God's Word says to us? Are you not the final one, Jesus? Is there, is there more? Is there something beyond you? Do we still need a, a prophet or a pope or an apostle? Somebody with a, a word from the Lord that's not already in our Bible? Jesus, are you really enough? Or should we, just, should we deny you as the final prophet and look for another Do you see the veiled denial here? Do you see what we're really saying when we take that approach? When we say we need a prophet other than Jesus, we are denying Jesus. And a prophet, as they come and go, who denies Jesus as the perfect and final prophet, can't possibly be a true prophet. Not at all. So much later in his life, Peter, who's grown older, he's writing some letters to the church, he has something to say about false prophets. In Second Peter two, 1 through3, he wrote, "There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle. And their destruction does not sleep. Claiming to be a prophet or saying that we need a pope or a prophet today is the denial of Jesus as the promised prophet and therefore a rejection of the biblical Jesus. That's the other way in which we reject or deny Christ. Now, the alternative to denying Christ is to not deny Christ, to accept him and to embrace him and to repent and to turn to him. That would be the alternative. Okay, So you turn from your false ways and you turn to Jesus' way. That's what it actually means to repent. That's the meaning of that word. That's the exact thing that Jesus was calling upon those first century Jews to do. And it's the same thing that I'm preaching to you today. Repent and turn to Christ. Repent and believe and be saved. Now, how is that? How is it that Peter is telling you the exact same thing 2,000 years ago that I am telling you today? We have 2,000 years separating us and yet the exact same message. It's because we're only telling you what you can read for yourself. It's in the Word of God. We're just repeating what has already been said from the perfect prophet. We're trying to point you to Jesus. The true and better. The perfect prophet. So here's the thing, and I I really mean this. Don't take my word for it. Open the book and read it for yourself. Hear from Jesus. You don't need me to act as if some kind of intermediary or a prophet. You have Jesus. Go there. It's my prayer that God will open your eyes and you'll see Jesus. You will really see it in a profound way. I hope you realize that Jesus is our perfect prophet today, and he still speaks. He speaks from his word. You can open this. We say here, but you're, it's coming in. You've got it. I hope you see it and hear it. I hope your eyes are open to that. I pray for that every day. And maybe this Christmas season, you'll come to discover how significant it is. truly. That Jesus is the one who reveals God to us. The Word became flesh as a revelation to us. What a blessing. Like, what a gift. See that when you look at your little manger scene. Oh, that's the baby prophet. Wow. Who will always be our prophet. That should make for a very Merry Christmas. And as you read for yourself... Man, I pray, I hope, I'm begging that you find yourself drawn more and more to Jesus as you see how insignificant any modern-day prophet really is when it comes to knowing your Savior. Peter said it was there you can see for yourself. I'm saying it's there you can see for yourself. Hear the words of Christ from Christ. Therefore, you will read, you will see that you should seek Christ and be numbered among God's people. Repent and turn to Jesus so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful the revelation of your word through prophet men like me. But Lord, I'm even more grateful that you brought the true and better prophet in Christ, the God-man, who reveals you to us in ways that bring salvation and rest, peace, and joy, and forgiveness. Oh, I am grateful, Lord. May we be grateful in this Christmas season, Lord, as we look to You, the the prophet, the revealer of Your Word, that we would see clearly. And as we move from that revelation of who You are to King, to priest, to Savior, Lord, that Your prophetic truth to us would, would speak loud and be clear. That we would be saved and drawn to You. And God, I am praying if there are any in here who have not turned to You, who have not answered Peter's call, that they would hear this today and give their lives to you and be saved. It's in Jesus' name, amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit RedeemingLifeUtah.org.